Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Hold the Line. So I've got some sad news this week, which is that Grey was put to sleep a couple of days ago. She didn't suffer and she wasn't in any pain. Um, but we just felt that things had gone on long enough and if we didn't act soon then things were going to deteriorate and she would have started to suffer and be in pain so we made the call on Tuesday um, and she went to sleep very peacefully but obviously we're both really really sad she was such a character and I've learned so much from owning her and handling her um, over the years that I think that there's definitely a podcast episode in all of that in terms of some struggles that I've had with her and things that I've learnt from from her so hopefully there will be some more about Grey in the future um, but for now we're just really quite sad about it. Um, we do have some good news which is that Moy is definitely pregnant um, so that's quite exciting she is going into the third trimester tomorrow so we're into the last three weeks now this is when she's going to eat quite a lot and get quite big in terms of this is when the puppies inside do most of their growing in the last trimester so um yeah this is very exciting it's quite difficult trying to manage these two things the sadness about gray and excitement about the puppies and we've got these three weeks to kind of negotiate our way through these two events but um yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll get there. So anyway, that's all in terms of what's going on here. Um, let's get on with what this episode's about. Hold the line. Folks, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today to Dr. Gail Watkins from Avidoc. It's a little hard to do justice to Gail and her achievements in a few sentences or even in a paragraph. So this is going to be quite a long intro. Gail is based in the US and she is a dual-purpose golden retriever breeder. Her affix is Galen's and she has bred golden retrievers for about 40 years. Gail's dogs have been super successful in numerous hunt tests and working certificate tests in a lot, a lot of different dog sports, from obedience to tracking to agility and more. 
Gail has qualified all age and master hunter golden retrievers, and she has bred or shown over 130 American and Canadian confirmation tracking obedience and agility champions. These dogs include the only two-time national agility champion and the youngest champion tracker golden retriever. She has also bred many dogs for working or hunting homes. As a result of all this, Gail is one of just a few breeders to have twice been selected by the AKC as breeder of the year. Gail is the co-founder of Avidog, and I think it's probably best to listen to the whole of the interview with Gail to get a sense of what Avidog actually is. In a nutshell, Avidog is an organisation which assists dog breeders around the world in their efforts to produce healthy, stable, well-adjusted and long-lived dogs, and also to assist new puppy owners in continuing the good work which these breeders have begun. The majority of the learning which Avidog offers people is available online, wherever you live in the world, through fantastic online courses. It's really important to stress that Avidog is extremely science-based and research-based, and this is something that Gail herself mentions when I talk with her. Gail served in the US Army for 22 years, and part of that time involved conducting research with the Department of the Army, as well as many corporate and non-profit organisations. Gail's education includes biology, business and sociology degrees from Harvard, Stanford and Gettysburg College, so she is well used to pulling together information from disparate papers and distilling it into an accessible format. Those findings and research then becomes available to us all through excellent Avidog courses. And then, of course, all that research is combined with Gail's 40 years of personal experience breeding golden retrievers. So it's not just academic knowledge, it's also practical experience that Gail has. So as you might be able to tell, I'm a huge fan of Gail and of Avidog, and I would really encourage folks to check out the Avidog website. I'm going to put this in the show notes, but I'll just say it's it's at avidog.com. So that's A-V-I-D-O-G dot com. And there's a lot of free stuff available for download on the website, so I'm going to put some of the links to, to that free stuff that you can download from the Avidog website as well. And so that I disclose any bias up front, I should say I'm an Avidog associate breeder and a current member of the Avidog Breeder College. I've implemented Avidog protocols with Moy before and during her current pregnancy. So that goes from what I fed her and supplemented her with to using cytology to time her breedings. Um, and I'll be implementing the early scent introduction that Gail's about to talk about when our pups arrive as well. Anytime I have a question, whatever it is, I just post it in the closed Facebook group for Breeder College members and I get an answer almost immediately from Gail. Um, and also from other experienced breeders in the group as well who contribute their knowledge. There's a real supportive community vibe to it all, and the discussions are based on science and research. Breeding can sometimes be very isolating, but it doesn't have to be with Avidog. I'm incredibly grateful, grateful to Gail for giving up her time to talk to us, and I really hope that more people can become aware of what Avidog has to offer. So thank you very much for your time, Gail, and let's have a listen to the interview. Hold the line. Welcome to Hold the Line, Gail, and thank you very much for being here. Um, I know you're extremely, extremely busy and your time is very precious, and so it's really good to have this opportunity to talk with you about Avidog. Um, but before we do get onto Avidog, I wanted to kind of um, give people some sort of background about you first and, and your current dogs and whereabouts in the world you're based and that sort of thing. So fill us in on some of that information, the dogs you live with at the moment and whereabouts you are. Uh, today or now, we live in the mountains of North Western North Carolina in the U.S., so we're way up in the mountains. We, we live with two golden retrievers, both from our breeding program for about eight generations. We have uh, just about eight-year-old Glee, and we have not quite two-year-old Reddy. And Reddy's, for me, very interesting because her sire was born in 1985. So he goes back to actually my second generation of dogs. 
uh, while her dam comes from about the fifth generation. So it's, it, she was an exciting combination for me. Um, we've been breeding and competing with our dogs for 40 years. We did hunting work right from the very start. Our dogs got us into hunting and we've uh, focused on producing working golden retrievers since then, which some people think is a bit crazy, but it's an awful lot of fun. And we have some lovely working dogs and our dogs do all kinds of sports from agility and obedience to field trials and hunt tests. So we have, uh, I don't know if you have hunt tests in the UK, but they're the non-competitive form of hunting competitions in the US. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of flag up the kind of working gun dog connections because there's lots of people who who follow Abidog and who use Abidog methods who are connected to working gun dog breeds. Um, we've got there's lots of sort of Labrador working Labrador breeders and work, loads of gold, of golden retriever breeders. So this gun dogs seem to be very well represented amongst people who use Abidog. Would, would you agree with that? I totally agree. From uh, the more common breeds, Labs and Goldens, to uh, Nova Scotia duck tollers to some of the rarer hunting, uh, rarer pointing breeds um, are definitely represented. Well, probably because it's such a passion for me and they're people that I, I touch a lot, as well as our introduction of early scent introduction, which I think really fascinated a lot of the gun dog people. And so we got a big following. Um, I think we first presented that about eight years ago. And so that got us known within the gun dog world as people were trying to improve scenting ability in their dogs. Yeah, maybe we should just, I was going to get onto that later, but maybe as you've mentioned it now, that's a good opportunity to talk about what that is. Sure. Well, a lot of breeders since the mid 90s have been doing what's known as early neurological stimulation. So that was introduced by Carmen Battaglia. Um, and it's a series of brief exercises that we do with puppies from day three to day 16. About 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, I started thinking about what was happening in a puppy brain at that point. And I thought the the only senses that three-day-old puppies have are taste, touch, and smell. And we're already stimulating touch by doing early neurologic stimulation. We can't really do a lot with taste. So what if we try and stimulate scenting differently than we have in the past? And we introduced a concept to our puppies initially of introducing a unique scent, one that they would not come in contact with in the whelping box each day. And of course, since we're gun dog uh, breeders, we did ducks, we did pheasants, we did chucker, Hungarian partridge. I don't know if you have those. We did quail, but we also did grass and dirt and chives and mint and apples. So we did this array because we weren't really trying to imprint them on a specific scent. We were trying to stimulate the scenting portion of their brain. So we did that for about 10 years before we really did an analysis of it because the dogs needed to mature and at least in the U.S. to reach the highest level of the hunting and field trial world, the dogs have to be close to middle age. So we looked back over a 10-year period that we had done. It actually had ended up to be a 12-year period at that point when we completed the analysis. I went out, I reached out to experts in scenting who had worked in multiple fields. So some of them were 
um, individual protection or Schutzend, as we call it in the U.S. We did tracking judges that, that were at the highest level. We did master hunter, the highest level of field trials and hunt tests. And we had them go through and say which scenting was the most difficult, which what challenges did it have. And then we went through and we analyzed about 150 of our dogs, 75 who had had early scent introduction, 75 who had not. And the 75 that had had early scent introduction had higher level scenting titles at a, an extremely young age, relatively speaking. So we were taking years off of their success in these sports. And they had uh, been more likely to achieve any scenting titles, even if they were purchased as a pet, many of them had gone on to septic sports. So we presented that at the um, National Working Dog Conference, and many working dog organizations have now started encompassing that in their puppy development. So it's easy. It's three days to 16 days. You have to come up with 13 different things for them to smell, and they sniff it for five seconds. Couldn't be much easier. And uh, in the long run, we're finding that it just has tremendous value to anyone who wants to further develop their dog's nose or something. Right. And there's some information on the Avid Dog website, isn't there, about that if people want to download the form that they can fill in while they're doing it. Is that is that right? Absolutely. So there's a free video on the Avid Dog website for early scent introduction or ESI, as we call it. There's a downloadable form that you can just use to track yourself as you do it. So you remember what you did and how you did it. And then you just let them grow up and see how it goes. Right. So, yes, I can give you that link. I don't know if you um, provide links. Yeah, we have show notes, so I can put it okay, in the show great. notes afterwards. Yep, yep. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. Cool. All right, so well, let, let's get on to Avidog as a kind of overall overarching huge thing because I've been thinking about how to introduce it to people and every time I try and think about how to summarize it or how to say what it is, it becomes really difficult because it's there's just so many branches of it and there's so many little add-ons to it and each of them are brilliant that it's, it's hard to kind of capture in one sentence or sum up. So I thought I would pass that over to you to, to try to summarize exactly what it is for people who've no idea. That, that, thanks for passing that to me because I also <laughs> have trouble doing it sometimes. Avidog's mission is to help both uh, puppy owners and breeders produce healthier, more stable dogs. And we do that by focusing from before we breed our dogs all the way up to the puppies at a year of age. So the program extends up to 12 months of age with most of the emphasis earlier in the puppy's life because we know that there is more influence by what we do, what we feed, how we care for them earlier in the dog's life has a greater influence over its lifetime than later. And the later we get, the less of an impact we're going to have. It's not that we shouldn't try things. It's just not going to have as much of an impact. So we do all kinds of things as we're caring for our breeding animals, as we're selecting our breeding animals. As you know, having uh, going through it right now, pregnancy is huge. We put a tremendous amount of focus on how we care for our dams when they're pregnant and then picking up right at the whelping from how we care for those puppies, how we stimulate those puppies so that by the time we send them to their new homes, we have developed their brains and their bodies so that they are going to be 
mentally stable. And when we describe stable, it's not that they're going to be more or less energetic or smarter or maybe not so smart. It's that we want dogs that are, can easily accommodate to any place that we put them. And then as you've seen, we also spend an awful lot of time matching those puppies to the right home, selecting homes and matching. Because even the best raised dog put into the wrong home is not going to be as successful as if it could have been matched to a better home. We, As we look at temperament, we're not thinking about temperament being good or bad. A lot of people talk about, oh, that dog's really high energy or it's really low energy. Energy in itself is not good or bad in a dog. It's, is it in a home that wants that energy level? Is it in a home that wants high energy? Is it in a home that wants low or moderate energy? So as we look at puppy temperament and puppy structure, it's really more about the match to the puppy's home than it is whether it's got a good temperament or a bad temperament. Hmm. And then we pick up with savvy socialization and help owners socialize their puppies and care for them and vaccinate them and feed them and all of those things that contribute to the puppy growing uh, well. It is physically fit and it's mentally fit. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this recently and I just thought the best way to sum it up is that I, I just wouldn't feel safe having a litter without Abby Dog behind me. I would feel very isolated and very alone and like I didn't really know who's who to trust and whose opinion um to put the most weight and emphasis on if i were getting conflicting information from different sources so so abadog for me is about you know having that safety and having that backup and it's like having a world-class mentor readily accessible who you can just trust as their finger on current best practices and literally everything um so so yeah that's that's how i feel about abadog but I should also say that I'm not exactly unbiased because I am like an Abadog associate breeder. So it's not a, it's not a neutral position, but um, yeah, I think Abadog is completely brilliant. So yeah. I mean, I've often noticed online where you get people asking various different questions about breeding or whelping and raising puppies. And they're often told by other people to, to ask their mentor or to find a good mentor. And that's, that's all well and good, but just because someone's been breeding for many years, it doesn't necessarily mean they've been breeding using the best practices for many years or that they've been doing it all right or that they've kept up to date with current research. And so um, it's also very difficult for some people to just find mentors in the first place. So that for me is what Avidog is about. Um, yeah. And- and that's one of the reasons that we started it, Joe, or those are a few of the reasons. We found that people were struggling to find mentors. People, mentoring is perhaps more known in the confirmation world in the United States, the, the show dog world. But even then, people are really busy. They don't have a lot of time. It's really hard for a mentor to raise a new breeder that doesn't live near them And so if you bought a dog uh, in the U.S., say I'm in North Carolina and I bought a dog from a breeder in California, it would be almost impossible for that person to really guide me in my first litter or my second litter or help me if things went wrong. So we felt this huge hole where mentoring used to be much easier when it was a smaller world. We didn't travel as far. We weren't shipping puppies in very often. And that made sense. But I think your comment on currency of information, how much older breeders keep up with new information is a really important one. For some reason in the dog world, 
continuing education, continuing professional education has not been something that has been pushed, at least in the U.S., by our breed clubs or by the, the American Kennel Club. We haven't had that you need to get 15 hours of professional education every year to make sure that the knowledge you have about breeding is current. And we're in this great period in dogs right now where there's all this research coming out, much more so than was done when I first got into dogs. And so we have available to all of, to us all of this research. But because of that, we have to be able to filter it, to go through and figure out how to apply it. Because I know you've read some scientific studies and sometimes they're just impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, how the heck do I use this for my puppies? And so as we started Abadog, we were thinking we want to fill in for mentors or help support what your mentor is doing for you. But we also want to translate scientific information to in a way that breeders can use it and can use it pretty easily. So those were uh, uh, sort of secondary goals to the overall goal of, you know, raising great puppies. But how do we help breeders and puppy owners do that? Yeah, I mean, I just from my perspective, the things that I've gained from from so far and we bearing in mind that we've not even got the puppies they haven't even arrived yet this for this litter um but the cytology has been amazing just to learn how how to do that because previously i thought that that would be something that was the that only a vet could do and that you know that would be something that i'd have to go to the vet for and this is something i've learned to do myself and i feel very empowered by being able to do this and it's got it's had a direct impact in terms of the safety um with the arrival of a litter because i know much more precisely when she's due now because i found out when diestrus happened so yeah the last litter which was pre abby dog before i discovered abby dog it she actually right the puppies arrived five days early um and we had a huge whelping window of about a week and a half so that took me by surprise so this is much yes i feel much more happy knowing when things are going to happen this time. So. And I think that one one piece of information, that one skill that breeders can develop, they can do it legally. There is no reason you shouldn't be able to do this. You do need to get some supplies, but as you found out, it is doable. That one piece of information can save the life lives of bitches and puppies. Because if puppies are coming particularly late, so if puppies come early, The puppies are at risk, but the bitch is not at risk. But if puppies come late, both of them are put at risk. And knowing what late means is a difficult thing in dogs. It's much more difficult in dogs than it is in human beings. And so our ability to say, we know that if those puppies aren't born by Thursday night, they are late. And the puppies are at risk because their placentas are going to deteriorate and the bitch is at risk because the puppies are going to start deteriorating. And we may not understand looking at her what the underlying cause of that delay in the whelping is, but it could be uterine torsion. It could be a blocked uh, a puppy that's blocking the way. And those are solvable situations if we know that we need to get her into the vet and talk to our vet about it and let the vet take an, uh, do an examination. Hmm. And that, that connects to the whelping rules and the way that there are these structured rules w- about when you need to go to the vet. Like if you haven't seen puppies by this time, then 
go to the vet and if this amount of time after this event so that's really great because i think you know the internet is awash with posts from people saying um i don't know she's gone into stage one labor and is this too long and should should we go to the vet now or should we not go to the vet and there's people worrying about this everywhere so i love that there are these concrete rules that, I, that you can just turn to and follow without having to debate it and think about it and i think the what even when I'm whelping now, uh, hundreds of litters, thousands of puppies, 40 years, I still am helped by this deadline. That if this doesn't happen by this time, I am going to go see my vet. And that for us, that partnership with our vets is so important. But we don't want to be going in there when we don't need to. It's not great for the bitch. It's a waste of our time. Uh, it's not helpful to our vets. We want to go in when we need to be there and we, we need to be confident that we need to be there. And so we developed the whelping rules so that breeders could be confident. It doesn't matter if you've bred a hundred litters. It doesn't matter if this is your first litter. This is the rule. This is when you're going to go see your vet. You're not necessarily going in for a C-section. And I always emphasize that because what you're going for is a professional opinion and examination of a bitch that's in labor or should be in labor. That may end up in a C-section, but it also may not. But knowing that you had this second, very uh, educated set of eyes on your bitch, I think is really important. Hmm. The other thing that's, that occurred to me when I first discovered Avidog is the nutritional side of things and how how early the work that we can do preparing for a litter goes, really. So that's, you know, just to go backwards a bit from the puppies actually arriving, that, that there are things that we can be doing in terms of what we feed our dogs, which can have a big impact on the puppies when they do arrive and on their brain development and, and longevity and health throughout the rest of their lives. So that, for me, was a huge eye-opener, um, and I love that there are these nutritional guidelines that we could follow too. And those nutritional guidelines come direct from the research, and the research is pretty clear on the benefit of reproductive nutrition. So we, there's different nutritional standards that are widely accepted across the world. There's puppy, there's reproduction, there's adult maintenance. And most dogs, most companion dogs can do well on adult maintenance. Many working dogs cannot. And uh, it really depends upon how much you work your dog. But typically during the hunting season here at a minimum, your dog needs to be on a, on a growth and reproduction nutritional standard. When it comes to reproduction, the reproductive standards for both stud dogs and brood bitches is really important. Direct correlation to stud dog fertility, how long that fertility will last during the dog's lifetime, the quality of the sperm itself. We've got good evidence that obesity in dogs changes the DNA in the sperm. That change in the DNA affects puppies' immune systems, but it also contributes to obesity in puppies. So it really is true that obese stud dogs produce puppies that are going to be more likely to be obese. And so we're sort of continuing this obesity epidemic through the dogs that we select. But you're right. There are so many other ways that nutrition affects. And this is before we've even bred the dogs. Nutrition has a huge impact. 
And then as we're breeding the dogs, in particular, bitch nutrition is so important. So there's this concept called the plane of nutrition, and that's plane as an airplane, P-L-A-N-E. And it, it doesn't have anything to do with flying. It has to do with the quantity and quality of nutrition as you're trying to get an animal pregnant. It was first um, laid out in cattle. And now it's more and more accepted and being researched in dogs that if we increase the quality and quantity of nutrition, in particular, most of us are going to increase the quantity because we already have our bitch on a high quality diet. So as we begin to increase the amount we feed as she's uh, in season and going into ovulation, more eggs are likely to be ovulated. So now you are going to optimize your litter size by uh, by changing the quantity of food that you feed. Then there's research that if you then take her back to her normal level in the first trimester, you reduce the chance of obesity in the puppies. So that drop in nutrition affects how the puppies' bodies are programmed over their lifetime by what is happening in the first trimester. And then, as you know, we begin to gradually increase as we uh, go into the second and then definitely the third trimester is when we're going to give her the most nutrition possible. Unfortunately, that's often the time they don't want to eat, but uh, we have some solutions for that too. But that uh, then enables the puppies to grow to a healthy weight so that when they're born, they're at a good solid weight to, to remain viable. Yeah, what I said is I hope that um, I implemented all of these fertility protocols and now I'm watching Moy's growing stomach um, with trepidation and wondering how many puppies can come out of that. <laughs> Always the challenge. That's why we, we're looking for that sweet spot, optimal uh, litter size and, and birth weights, although we do have to adjust for some dogs and some lines and some breeds. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is the idea of um, exercise for puppies, because I know that's something that's um, current in your mind at the moment as well. And the idea of adventure walks uh, that you recommend people take with the litters and this idea, because I know that there's some schools of thought that think that puppies, little puppies should really not be exercised at all, and or it should be very, very, very limited. And I think actually the research shows that that's not the case, and that research is good for puppies and actually decreases the risk of hip dysplasia as long as it's appropriate um, exercise. Is that something that you would agree with? or? I totally agree with that. In fact, we're we're probably within a couple of weeks of releasing our puppy exercise guideline booklet, it's not going to be a huge book, but it will lay out the schedule. And in it, we have all the references for why early exercise, why we are confident that early exercise is appropriate and beneficial for puppies. The The key is what kind of exercise. So your comment on hip dysplasia comes from a Scandinavian study, pretty large study that showed that regular mo- regular free run exercise over moderate terrain, so not not lawns, not gardens, but hills and dales and um, streams and things like that, dramatically reduced hip dysplasia in puppies. And so regular is several times a week, 
and the the key was moderate terrain, that the terrain wasn't easy for the puppy. But it also required off-leash uh, exercise with the puppy because one of the biggest challenges we have with puppies is when we put them on leash, we reduce their ability to select their own pace. And you've walked puppies before. You know that they zoom ahead and they run in circles and then they flop down or they stop and sniff something and you just keep walking and you pass them and then they zoom ahead again. There the puppy is able to choose its pace that's comfortable for its body. When we put them on leash, we make them move at a pace that's comfortable for our bodies and that isn't as beneficial to puppies. So what we recommend for those of us who must exercise our puppies on leash because of our living conditions is that you use a long line that you can, you know, it can be a minimum of 10 feet. I'm not good at translating that to meters, so I'm going to let you do that. But a 10-foot leash or a 12-foot leash that you can shorten when you need, you know, if you're in town or you're in a village, you can shorten it up. But then once there's a place where the puppy can move more at its own pace, you can let the the leash out more so that they can move it at a pace that's comfortable for them. And then we have to be respectful of that pace. And if they want to stop and sniff, we let them stop and sniff. And if they want to run ahead as best we can, um, obviously don't hurt yourself, but let the puppy move at a good clip because they can be pretty fast by seven weeks of age. Hmm. But the idea is that we shouldn't be sort of um, wrapping them up in cotton wool. And I mean, there's this sort of idea of the five minutes per month of age. Would, is that relevant, would you say, or is that too conservative and... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. I think it's much too conservative. The The five minutes per month of age might be fine if all you're doing is leash walking your puppy, but your puppy needs off-leash time as well. You You can't properly exercise your puppy solely on leash. 
So finding a place where the puppy can safely be off leash is critical. And I know it can be challenging for some of us, but if we're going to have particularly a gun dog puppy or a working puppy of some sort, we have to find a way. Whether it's you go out on the weekends, you go outside of the city on the weekends and find a park or find a friend's house or someone's property. But finding that way for them to safely be off leash is critical to their brain and body development. The There's a standard right now that says that a six-month-old large breed dog, like a golden or a lab, should go 100 feet at a time in a session. Our puppies are usually walking 45 minutes by seven weeks of age. And knock on wood, I always... Uh, take a breath when I say this, but we have 0% hip dysplasia in our puppies. And we've been doing adventure walks with our puppies now since 1997. And we did not start with great hips uh, in our line. We've worked very hard and I'm absolutely positive that adventure walks have a tremendous impact on that. Wow. I think that'll probably surprise some people listening, the idea of a of seven week puppy walking 45 minutes. It's, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we're moseying and they're moving all different directions and spaces and exploring and carrying things and they're being puppies, but we're moving for 45 minutes. Right. Hmm, that probably brings us on to um, the fit to be tied and, and fit for life, this idea of exercise. And that's another kind of add on strand to Avidog's bow, isn't it? Do you want to sort of say a little bit about that? Sure. So I've been friends with Dr. Chris Zink. Some of you may be familiar. She's one of the leading sports medicine veterinarians in the world, helped write the recent textbook for sports medicine veterinarians. And we've been friends for a long time. And we were at a agility trial one day and we're just talking about what was missing right now in fitness for dogs. And we decided initially to do Fit to be Tied, which is a fitness program for stud dogs and brood bitches, because there's just a tremendous body of research on the benefits of fitness for all breeding animals of all species. Um, but this is both for stud dogs and for brood bitches. The relatively simple exercises Almost all of them can be done in or around your house or your apartment. There's a few that will be beneficial if you can get out and about, but it's not essential. From that, we realized that there wasn't a lot of easy guidance out there for people with either younger puppies. So as we're passing off puppies to new homes, what are they supposed to do? And then all the way up to geriatrics. So Fit for Life is our fitness program for non-breeding dogs. And it picks puppies up at three weeks of age and it takes them uh, until their geriatric years and through their geriatric years. Each each stage has programs, fitness programs that you can do. It takes 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, Three times a week is great if you can do that or you can do them for seven minutes, six times a week. So it depends upon how much you, uh, how often you want to work your dog. It's a series of exercises. And the wonderful thing from my perspective for Fit for Life is that you, we have an evaluation that you do on your dog in your home. It, it takes about 15 minutes to do. You take the results from that evaluation. You plug them into our program and you'll get your dog's program that fits for your dog's fitness at the moment. 
that evaluation enables you to set up a program that fits for your dog where it is currently. It enables you to progress your dog. So the next month you do another assessment, you see your dog's gotten stronger in the rear, but maybe not stronger in the front. And now you'll get another set of exercises. But the other thing that we've seen, Joe, that I didn't really expect was how many injuries have been identified in the assessment, as opposed to when the dog was competing. And this includes field trial dogs, hunt test dogs, and agility dogs are the the dominant ones, some racing dogs as well. So people weren't noticing it in a competition, most likely because the adrenaline in the dog, because of the competition, overrides any uh, any of their thought about limping or stopping or not trying. And I certainly have seen that in my dogs in the field. When they go in the field, I think they would, they'd have a leg dangling and they'd still go out and get the bird. They might limp a little on the way back, but not on the way out. So what we found in the evaluation, we just had it happen to someone the other day. So one of the highest levels in our program, and she kept saying, I'm seeing a problem with the front. I'm seeing a problem with the front, but um, both front legs were injured. And so uh, we asked her to post a video on the Facebook group. So we have a private Facebook group. And sure enough, her dog has two very serious shoulder injuries that she probably wasn't going to see in on the agility course for another three or four months, at which point they would have been much worse and it would have taken much longer to heal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think some people don't realize that fitness is about all of these different muscle groups. I think there probably are still some people who think it's about aerobic exercise. And as long as they're taking their dog out and they're running about all over the place, that, that that's all the fitness that they need. But but it's not really, is it? Because there's many sort of muscle groups which don't get exercised just through that those movements that that need to be isolated and identified. Um, I, yeah. I think that's a great point because isn't that the guidance we're usually given? You you need to get your dog fitter and we think take them for a longer walk. But in reality, dogs are very similar to human beings. You can you can walk a really long time and still have a very weak core. And just like in human beings, core strength is critical. And there's three aspects of core that we focus on. So we do front leg strength, core strength, rear leg strength, flexibility. So that which are stretching exercises and then balance and proprioception so that the dog is able to know where its body is in space to help avoid injury when it's running across a field or jumping a fence or doing an agility course or some anything along those lines. Even a, a pet dog chasing a frisbee or chasing a ball, it's very easy for them to get injured if they don't know where their body is in space or they don't have the strength and flexibility to do what it needs, what the dog needs to do in order to catch the frisbee or get the bird or jump the fence. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed particularly with Moy, um, one of the things that's been great has been having these exercises to do during pregnancy and knowing that they are safe for pregnancy and that I'm not going to cause an injury or you know anything like that but these are exercises that are approved and they're going to keep her physically fit and enable her to hopefully whelp puppies more easily um and that's really good because i think my tendency is to worry a lot and always want to wrap her up in cotton wool and probably do nothing with her um and 
yeah, that was pro- that's probably what I would be doing without the fits beside exercises. Whereas I, I really like having this structure and knowing that this is okay for the stage of pregnancy that she's at. So it reassures me. I'm going to interrupt this fibreless discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend and I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me though because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. And we've found, uh, I'm sure you have uh, seen it from other Avidog breeders, how much quicker whelpings are happening for dogs that have gone through the Fit to be Tied program. And there's a strong correlation between speed of whelping and health of puppies. The longer whelping takes, the more likely puppies are going to run into problems uh, during and after the whelping. So when we design Fit to be Tied, we have what you do before you breed her. We have what to do in the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. Things get pretty quiet, as you know now. There's really not a lot that you should be doing. But when you think about it in dogs, you know, a trimester is three weeks. It's not a long period. And we know that they that she's not going to decondition much. If you have gotten her fit prior to that, she isn't going to decondition much in a three-week period. However, if you had done nothing through pregnancy, and I I totally understand being worried and concerned and you don't want to do anything to those puppies. You don't want to do anything to her. So if we, our tendency is to do nothing out of concern, now we have a bitch that's probably nine or 10 or 11 weeks with no exercise because it's, sometimes it's hard to exercise them while you're breathing, you're away from home, you're traveling. And then you've got the first couple of weeks after the puppies are born. So you have 12 or 13 week period where the bitch is not getting adequate exercise. Now recovery is going to be much more difficult and the sort of the second, the penultimate benefit 
for fit to be tied is speed of recovery physically of the bitch. We don't recover coats. That that just nature takes its it's sweet time on that, but we can recover bitches physically so they can go back into hunting or back into competition very, very quickly. Hmm. So this is a bit of a kind of a whistle-stop tour of a few different parts of Avidog, really. But I did want to ask you about the puppy, the, the APET test. Um, and I wondered if you could sort of say a little bit about what you might be looking for in an APET test for a puppy which you're going to place in the hunting home um, and what qualities you'd be looking for in that puppy and how the APET test can help people identify, you know, potential working gun dogs of the future. That's a great question. And the APET's one of my very favorite tools that we have. So the APET is the Avidog Puppy Evaluation Test typically done no earlier than seven and a half weeks, and it can be done up until 16 weeks. And the goal there is to get an idea of the puppy's innate temperament so that we can structure our socialization and development and experiences and training around that puppy's temperament, as well as if you're a breeder, match it to the right home. So let's say I'm looking for my next gun dog. I'm going to be looking for a puppy with some environmental focus who walks into the room and looks around before it goes directly to the person. And I know a lot of times that's the reverse of what people are looking for. They're looking for the puppy that runs in and sees the tester and gets in their lap. But those puppies tend to then, uh, I was listening to one of your healing episodes and you talk about how gun dogs need to be looking ahead as they heal when they're getting ready to go retrieve. And that's a really important trait. And so I want a puppy that naturally sees the space it's in, is naturally looking around. I think as with most tests that are available, I want a very strong retrieve. From my perspective, I don't need the return portion in my dogs. I'm, I want that strong drive out that puppy that will retrieve anything the tester throws that will go over little obstacles. We have obstacles that we put in that they have to negotiate in order to continue a retrieve. I want them with all the go in the world to get the object, whether they bring it back or not, they're puppies and we can teach them to come back. I know you're very capable of doing that. I know you're teaching your audience how to do that. So that's something that is much much easier to teach than uh, finding a puppy that doesn't really want to go retrieve and making it want to. I want a puppy that is bold. I want a puppy that's confident in the face of noises. So we do all kinds of noises and sights. And they don't have to run up to it, but I want them to not bolt away from it. I personally like very quick learners. So we have a learning test where we test how do they learn. And one of the things that we look for in how they learn that I think would be, is really important to your audience is no, what we call noise or barking. Barking, whining, those I know are not good things for your gun dogs. They're not great things for our gun dogs. And so I tend to shy away from puppies that make a lot of noise as they're solving a problem. But I also want to see them solve it quickly. So I'm looking for a puppy that quietly thinks through problems and solves them quickly. And ideally, my preference, yours may be different, but my preference is they do that without asking for help. 
that they don't turn to me to solve the problem, that they keep trying to solve the problem on their own. I, go ahead. I was Sorry. just going to say that the, the patience exercise, I think, is one where you might start to see some of that noise happening. If the, if the puppy's a bit frustrated that you've withdrawn attention from them and you're just standing there waiting, that's when you might start to see barking or whining or those kind of behaviors in the APAC. Absolutely. So we do two portions of the APIT where we completely stop engaging with the puppy. In one of those, we do it quietly. We just sit there as if we were reading our phones or something like that. And in the second one, we talk to other people. So it's almost like you're talking to an instructor or trainer or your hunting partner. And we want to see what the puppy does. Uh, the, The ideal for the vast majority of people is that the puppy just hangs out with you quietly, so sort of lies at your feet or sits nearby, something like that. Um, If a puppy goes away and goes and make what we call making their own fun, they go and play with the objects in the room, that's really fine with me because we have leashes and we can control that. But you're right. Any puppy that starts barking, whining, pawing, trying to escape, all of those are red flags for me for any kind of gun dog home. Great. So I was just thinking that people listening, there might be some people listening who are breeders or who are going to breed occasionally rather than frequently. And there might also be some people listening who've got no intention of ever breeding um, and they just own and work gun dogs. So I was wondering how, you know, what is relevant in terms of what Avidog has to provide for people who are not breeders and people who are just the puppy buyers or owners or trainers or handlers? We have a wide array of what we call short courses, short classes for uh, pet owners, gun dog owners, competition owners that focus on care of your dog. So we have feeding the active dog, supplementing the active dog. We have caring for senior dogs. We have lots of information on puppies. We have 97 Ways to Create Great Puppies, which is a free ebook on 97 things we should be doing with our puppies up to 16 weeks of age. So if you're getting a new puppy, that's a great asset. We have a series of athlete classes. So we have rehabilitation, identifying injuries, um, arthritis, because even many of our young dogs end up with arthritis, especially if it's a working dog that might have uh, more energy or be using its body perhaps more uh, assertively than a pet dog might. All of those are available. They're short little classes. Uh, they're, they're less than $20 US. And so they, but in them, you get lots of information that teaches you all about the topic as well as some tools and re- resources. So the resources might be products, but often it's research papers. So if you happen to be a geeky type, you can go back and take a look at the research that underlies all of our recommendations. Yeah, I guess in the 97 Ways to Raise Great Puppies booklet, there's also, it continues on from eight weeks, doesn't it? So anyone getting a puppy at eight weeks from a breeder could then pick up that booklet from that point and follow on from that. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So it takes you up to 16 weeks. That birth to 16 weeks is the most influential time in a puppy's life. So having a focus plan and implementing it and doing an awful lot with our puppies during that period is critical. And of course, choosing a breeder as well in the first place is something that I guess Avidog could could help with because there's a, a litter, um, a list of litters upcoming, isn't there, for Avidog breeders? We do. We have uh, Avidog associate breeders. So those breeders have agreed to follow what we think are important 
activities and support for owners in the, the, the breeding of their litter. So they might just have a few litters. They might be regular breeders. They're, they're around the world. We have breeders from around the world that are on the list. And then we list litters as well. So you can, if you're looking for a puppy right now, you can look at the litter pages. If you're looking for a breeder to establish a relationship with, you can go to the Avidog Associate Breeder and list and reach out to them and start that contact. So if someone is listening and they are interested in, in joining Avidog, and let's let's say they're a breeder um, now, um, what what should they do? What's the is there a course that they should a particular course that they should look at, or is it better for them now to join the new Platinum Breeder College scheme? Um, do you want to just say a bit about the options that people have now? Sure. So we have, two, for breeders, we'll just focus on breeders right now, we have two main options. You can do what we call a la carte courses. So you can just take a course at a time and go through the program. And we have six basic courses, foundational courses now in the program from your litter A to Z, which takes you through the the production or creation of a litter from before you breed until you send your puppies home. Um, but we have stud dog management. We have senior dog management, uh, lots of other courses. Or you can get all of those courses through the Platinum membership. And the Platinum membership gives you access to all of the courses that we have for breeders. And it gives you access to a private Facebook page that I think is a terrific group of breeders that are so supportive. We have extremely knowledgeable breeders who have been breeding for as long as I have, so 40 or more years, down to people who haven't bred their first litter yet. And the group is a very kind and supportive, but very, very educated group. Um, we have semi-monthly, twice a month, live calls, and we have once a month we have an additional bonus. So coming up is our puppy send-off bonus where we're going to do a live call talking about how to what's send-off day like. How do we... How do we transition puppies from being with us, the breeder, to their new homes? How do we do that for their owners and the puppies themselves? So I personally think Platinum is an amazing program. It does close on the, on August 30th. So we're closing it to new members on August 30th of 2019. So if you're listening to this later, you can log on to avidog.com and put your name in to get the announcements when we open it again. But uh, if it's before, if you're listening before August 30th, then you can pop on in and, and uh, enroll or join the membership now. Membership is ongoing. You can stay as long as you want. Um, we'd love to, we love having breeders from around the world join us. And we've got lots right now. And Joe, I have a, a gift for your listeners so we have a, a coupon just for Hold the Line listeners wow. um, of 10% off everything that Avidog offers. So that, uh, do you want me to give the coupon code now or at the yeah, end? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well, but yeah. Okay. So it's H-T-L, Hold the Line, 10, 1, 0. So H-T-L, 1, 0. It's 10% off everything Excellent. that we have. So that could be a membership, that could be a course, it could be a short class, it could be our puppy exercise guideline posters, etc. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, sure. I wanted to support what you just said there about the Facebook group, because I think that is, for me, one of the 
amazing parts of Avidog is that there is this Facebook group full of experienced breeders and that they're all, you know, all behind Avidog and coming coming from the same perspective in terms of the best practice and what's the right thing to do. So that everyone doesn't necessarily always agree 100% of the time, but because we all have Avidog as the background, there's not quite such a diverse array of opinions as there might be in some other general Facebook groups where people are coming at things from all over the place. So I find it's really great because the advice is streamlined and it's more useful in that way. And for that reason, it's less confusing. Um, so yeah, I find that that Facebook group brilliant. Yeah. And one of the things that I really enjoy about the Facebook group is when people disagree, they disagree with evidence. They come in and say, the reason that I think differently is because there's this study uh, I've done this for 15 years and here are my results. It's not just off the top of their head. I don't like that idea or I wasn't taught that way. People come in. And so now there's room for discussion that for me makes more sense than just going onto a list where you get 50 different opinions and you have no idea what the basis of those opinions are. Hmm. Well, I think that our whistle-stop tour of everything Abidog maybe has come to a close now. Um, so thank you very, very much for your time, Gail. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you today. Um, can you just remind everyone of the Abidog website address and an email address that they can use if they have further questions? And I'll also put that in the show notes at the end as well. Fabulous. Yes, Joe, it's been such a pleasure as always to talk to you. So our uh, website is www dot avidog a-v-i-d-o-g dot com and our best email address is info i-n-f-o at avidog dot com excellent well thank you so so much Gail for coming to speak to us today it's been fantastic to talk with you I feel like we've only scratched the surface but hopefully we've done enough to whet everyone's appetite so that they can investigate what avidog has to offer in a bit more detail well, we look forward to to um, interacting with them. We would love to have some Hold the Line members uh, reach out and get in touch, and hopefully we'll have some as students. That would be fabulous. Thanks very much, then, Gail. Thanks, Joe. Wonderful to talk to you today. Hold the Line. I just want to say thanks again to Gail for taking the time to do this interview and also thanks for the cool discount code for listeners. That was really kind of you, Gail. I'll put the discount code in the show notes along with many other links that listeners are going to want to check out. And those are going to be links to some free Avidog resources as well as other information about Gail and Galen's retrievers. If you're a breeder, even a very infrequent breeder like we are, then you should absolutely sign up for the Avidog Breeder College membership before it closes at the end of August for a very reasonable cost that will give you access to all of Avidog's excellent courses for a monthly fee, which you can cancel at any time. You can also access the Breeder College Facebook group if you are a Breeder College member. Um, Gail's very active in this group, helping people. If you miss that deadline at the end of August, or you just want to buy one of the flagship courses, if you want my hot tip, it would be the Your Litter A to Z course, or A to Z if you're American, <clears throat> um, which is going to seem incredibly expensive at first glance, but when you realise that it costs much less than just a single puppy, then it's actually a really good deal. Your Litter A to Z, or A to Z, is the course that I first bought with Avidog before the Breeder College membership even existed, and it was worth every penny. On a final note, if you're looking for an Avidog-raised Labrador puppy, then check out our website at galadygundogs.com. That's G-A-L-O-D-Y gundogs.com. That's all for this week, everyone. And I will be back again next week. Hold, hold
Holiday Times. Holiday Times.